Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. continue our May worship series on I love to tell the story. Last week we talked about the story of Jesus, the gospel story, and I shared with you how it is quite possible to speak of the gospel and the story of Jesus and yet create plenty of space for your own individual experiences and encounters with God. And so I offered to you a threefold way of talking about the gospel message, that Jesus grants power that Jesus gifts grace, and that Jesus loves unconditionally. All of those are true. They all have scriptural underpinnings to them, but hopefully throughout the duration of our spiritual walk in our lives, we have had occasions where we can speak and testify to those things for us. Where has Jesus granted us power to make our choices, to choose repentance instead of turning a blind eye to where we cause pain and suffering in the world? Where have we received that gift of grace? And how has that changed who we are and how we exist in the world? And lastly, have we experienced that unconditional love of Jesus? The one who receives us when we wander away. The one who forgives us when we ask for that forgiveness. And above all, the one who loves us no matter what state we find ourselves in. Continuously pouring out upon us a love that edifies and encourages and yet challenges us to share that love with others. Well, today we're going to talk about telling the Bible story. It's not an easy story to tell. It's not an easy book to read. In fact, some of us will take our entire lives to go through all 66 books of this anthology. It is a gigantic compendium of the experiences and the testimony of God's people. And it is not only our testimony, as Christianity certainly lays claim to the New Testament, but the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible, as our Judaic siblings in faith would call it, certainly has its own part to play, its own narrative that is inclusive of their experiences, as they trace themselves first from Hebrews, then to Israelites, and finally to Jews. So how do we tell a story that is respectful of everything that is happening within this rather large book? It's not easy. In fact, you can oversimplify the Bible, and I would encourage us not to do that either. I have here a Bible that has been abridged beyond the point of usefulness. It's pretty thin, right? In fact, I checked today. This is thinner than my Kindle, which has the entire Bible on it. This is an absolutely useless Bible. I will give you an example of this. It tries to give a summation of every book of the Bible. So here is what it says of the Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes. The great wise man and king, Koaleth, wants you to know that he literally had every pleasure desirable, but he still has a lot of complaints. Makes you want to read Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? A lot of complaints. All right, let's try the New Testament. Maybe it'll be a little better. Here's the gospel account of John. Not only are all those other three gospels all true, but Jesus did so much awesome stuff, John doesn't even have time to list it. Amen. (laughs) 
Not helpful. We're not going to do that. If we're going to try to tell the Bible story, we're going to have to do so with a respect for the entire narrative from Genesis to Revelation and every book in between. How do we tell that story? Now, certainly you've had people that are like, go and read it. That's not easy to do. If you've ever tried to plod through the Bible by yourself, you probably got stuck at Leviticus. That one usually trips people up. Or, God bless you, if you decided to skip all that entirely and you, Lord forbid, opened up to Isaiah and realized that it's 66 chapters, then you might never have even made it to the New Testament. And there are plenty of people that thought they would start with the New Testament and start out with the gospel account of Matthew, because it's the one that we come to first, and then got to that really long section on the Sermon of the Mount and were like, I think I'm good. God will tell me what I need to know. It's hard. It's not easy. And that's why God created these stories, not only to be created in community, but to be continued in community, taught in community. This is not any one person's story, unless that person is God Almighty. So here's how I would suggest that we look at the Bible. We have to look at the Bible as trying to tell a very specific story. And that story isn't just of Christianity. We have the Hebrew Bible as part of our story. That story is inclusive of also another form of covenantal religion, which is Judaism. And inclusive of both of those is the expression that is held by our Islamic siblings in faith. And so how do we make that a just retelling? The first is that the Bible begins with the genesis of everything, creation. And what we find is that there are two creation stories. There's one that starts out right about here and one that starts out a little lower. <laughs> and if you choose to look at them as one singular narrative, you'll find very quickly that we start to do this, right? Because we get into sin. And what we find is that God isn't just creating a person or all of humanity. God is creating a people. It is a narrative that talks about God creating the heavens and the earth, creating humankind, but specifically creating the opportunity for people to choose to be chosen. God hasn't simply plucked out a group of people. God invites them to choose God, which is what we get in the book of Exodus when they are gathered at Mount Sinai. God lays out the covenant. Do you choose this relationship, this covenant that will bind us, not just us, but your children and your children's children and your descendants long after you? Will you choose to be my chosen people? And lays out exactly what that entails. And so God creates. God creates consistently. But also today we heard that God is creating again. Creation isn't something that God does and then walks away. God creates in us a new heart. God creates new opportunities. God creates new futures. And according to the prophet Isaiah, God is creating a new holy city and circumstances there where people will never again build but not inhabit, plant but not reap. God is creating a bright and beautiful future for God's people. So creation is certainly the first part of telling this story. But the second part is that God sustains. We find out very quickly that a lot of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is about God upholding God's people. When they are suffering in the middle of Egypt for 400 years to slavery and bondage, God sustains them and then brings them out of that then choosing to sustain them in the wilderness, 
providing them the bread from heaven, manna, providing them water from rocks, providing clean, potable water from bitter water at Merah. Jesus also continues that side of sustaining. He ensures that those who are hungry are fed. He ensures that those who are blind can see. Those who need grace are forgiven. Sustaining is the second huge part of the narrative of the scriptures from start to finish, that God sustains us, giving us what we need, not always what we want. But the narrative starts to go kind of like this, right? They come out of Egypt is a high point, and then all of a sudden, oh, Pharaoh's coming after us, low point. Then, oh, look, God's parting the waters, another high point. Oh, look, God is now covering the Egyptians that are following us, another high point. Then we get into the wilderness, and next thing we know, it's like, you know, it was a lot better in Egypt. We had cucumbers and meat. The story is not like this. It is not an ascending narrative. And sometimes we get overwhelmed with that is the expectation, that our life should start here and always go that way. But that's not true. That is certainly not the case of the Bible. There are times in the Bible where it's very clearly like this. There are times in the Bible where it goes kind of like, this, and this, and this, and I can't go any shorter because I'm wearing heels, but you get the point. It goes very far down, and sometimes you get to the book of Judges, and I like to say it looks kind of like water going down a drain, around and around and down. The narrative is not ascending. What ascends are the prayers of the people. What ascends is our spirit being uplifted by God's creation, recreation, and sustaining us. That's what is ascending, not our narrative, because we are fragile people. We are faulted. We are absolutely sinful. We have some frailty to us, but God sustains us throughout time so that we can overcome. So the third thing that we discover is that after God creates and sustains, God redeems. Now, this is where Christians start to feel very comfortable. We know the narrative of redemption. We're very strong with that. We feel very confident in that. But you'll notice that the prophet Isaiah, well before the New Testament, is talking about redemption. Talking about not only the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, but also that God will now rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in the people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. That is redeeming the experiences of the people. They have certainly known their fair share of pain and suffering, perhaps even more than their fair share. And so one of the greatest struggles, challenges to our faith, is to try to look back over our lives and maybe even where we are right now and try to redeem those experiences. There are any number of ways that people have tried to do that over the course of all of humanity. We try to look back and go, look what we have learned Look what we discovered. Look what we can share and pass on to those so that they might not repeat our mistakes or fall into these pitfalls. We certainly have had periods where people have said, you know, I have come out stronger. Now, there is certainly a colloquialism that you may have heard that says that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. For some of us, that may be true. But I have known many a people who have undergone cancer treatment and it has decreased the density of their bones, it has caused ancillary issues, and they don't feel stronger physically. There are people who have gone through trials and tragedies and it has shattered their minds and it has weakened their spirit. So perhaps that is not the narrative that God gives. 
but that redemption is about how we choose to continue our relationship with God. Sometimes in life, it's too easy to go, that was too painful, and I can never go back, and I can never see the people that I saw when I was struggling, when I was suffering. I just have to cut that out of my life. But what we come to discover is that God was present there. It is incumbent upon us as we mature in our spirituality and go deeper in our faith to look for the opportunities where God was there, to see with new eyes and to feel not only in our hearts but in our heads and in the deepest part of our beings that, yes, God was there too. I have certainly experienced God in a dialysis center. I have experienced God at the deathbed of a cancer patient. I have experienced God in the midst of a funeral of mourning. God is present there. But how do we look at something and see God's presence and not then just be angry that God was there but didn't magically fix everything? And that's part of the struggle. That's part of the recreation that God is talking about here. I created, I sustained, and I will redeem you and I will recreate. I will recreate in you a new heart. I will recreate in you a new ability to triumph, to avoid what has hurt you in the past. And to find new ways of being in the world where we are a blessing and not a burden on one another. And that is what the Bible is constantly telling us in the Old and the New Testament. That God seeks to redeem. Redeem us, redeem this world, redeem our circumstances. Redeem everything that we can come into contact with that it might reflect more of God's glory and not human sinfulness and suffering. And so that is one of the struggles that we see in the Bible all the time. Number three, right? that redemption piece. But if we keep reading and we get out of the four gospel accounts, we immediately come to the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. And when we get there, we discover number four, sanctification. To sanctify something means to consecrate it, to make it holy. Now, for some of us, this is like a weird concept. But for some of us, it's like, yes, I have heard that. Sanctifying grace. I have heard of that. If you've dwelt in a Methodist church, I hope you've heard of sanctifying grace. If not, we are failing you, and let us redeem that right now. Instead, sanctification is God saying, I will make you holy. I will transform you. And we see this in our sacraments. In the United Methodist Church and in the Wesleyan tradition, we have two sacraments. We have baptism and Holy Communion. And both of those are an encounter with, as the book of Acts says, the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we have the Holy Spirit descending and doing a new thing, recreating humankind with an embedded presence of God's self, a piece of God's Holy Spirit indwelling in us. That is part of the sanctification. Now, for some of us, we try to pinpoint when that moment happened. After all, Pentecost happened almost 2,000 years ago. When did we as individuals or we as the body of Christ receive that? Well, for some of us, it happened when we were baptized. It happened when we were baptized as an infant or a child or a teenager or an adult. It happened not only in the application of the water, but of the laying of hands and the invocation of the Holy Spirit upon us. So some of us have spent almost our entire lives with some piece of God within us. And once you get over wrestling with what that is like, you come to find that there has never been a day since that moment that you have been abandoned by God. God has not only been present with you, but within you. And you can choose to nourish that piece of God's self and empower it and rekindle 
that connection that brought forth the sacrament that gave it to you. Or you can choose to try to kind of squelch it down and not let it affect you. Blot it out, blind yourself to it, try to keep it mute. But if and when you choose to turn and listen inwardly to that presence of God, it is ready to ignite once more and fill you with the power and the glory of grace. That is sanctification. And that is something that we can revisit time and time again. That is something that occurs when we participate in the sacrament of Holy Communion. We confess our sins, we receive that grace, and then when we partake of the elements of the cup and the bread, what we find is that we are actually ingesting the promise of God's grace and that it is fueling us from within. It is working within to perfect us. Just as you eat and metabolize anything else, when you take of the sacrament of Holy Communion, you are asking God to nourish your spirit and the Holy Spirit within you. And when you start nourishing and empowering the Holy Spirit, things change. You change. What you say, what you do, how you see the world, how you feel about other people, those things have to change. Because God will not let us stay static God is a very dynamic God who is continually expanding the circle, inviting new people to choose to be chosen and to bless them, and to use us to do the inviting, the receiving, and the blessing. So sanctification is a vital part of that story. Creation, God creates, God sustains, God redeems, and then God sanctifies. So that's a lot. Some of those are really big words. We'll forget them later. I understand that. So if you can't remember all of that, I hope you will remember number five, that all four of those, creation, sustaining, redeeming, and sanctifying, are all about number five, abiding. If there is one truth that is consistent throughout the entire Bible, it is that God abides. God chooses to be with us. God didn't create and walk away. God has been present, watching, talking, moving, receiving, redeeming, sustaining, sanctifying throughout all of the existence of humankind. And we have the opportunity to testify to God's abiding presence. We do it with our prayers. We do it with our presence. We'll do it with our gifts, our service, and our witness. We have the ability to say that God abides not only within us, among us, and even where we are not. God precedes us when we go out into the world. Sometimes we think theologically that God is only here, only present in this room or in sanctuaries around the world. God is only present when two or more gather in God's name. But no, God is able to be with us here now and also to simultaneously be with those who are hurting and struggling and suffering out in the world. And when we go to them, what we discover is that God is there. And that God is waiting to knit us and those people together. So God abiding is the underlying message of all scripture. God was there when they were suffering in Egypt. God was there in their doubting and their struggles in the wilderness. God was there when their narrative started to look more and more like this. As the peaks got higher and the valleys got lower. God was there in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God was there in the earthly ministry. God was there upon the cross. 
God was there in the empty tomb and in the resurrection of our Lord. God has never abandoned us. But more often than not, when we look back, we find the places where we abandoned God, where we walked away as individuals and collectively. We chose our way rather than God's. But because God is so amazing, God has always been right there. So that when you fall, God catches you. That's the narrative that we see repeatedly with Jesus and his own apostles. Jesus is there. They get terrified of the storm. They wake Jesus up. I am here. I would never let anything happen to you. He sends them out to try to do the things that they have witnessed Jesus doing. They cannot feed the many. They are unable to heal people. And they come back and they go, why can't we do it too? And Jesus says, because your faith is weak. But I will show you how it is done. And when Peter is so bold as to walk out on that water, he does fail. He begins to slip and doubt. And Jesus reaches right out and grabs him and raises him back up. Jesus is always there for his apostles. God incarnate is always there. And even when he says, now I must leave you and go, I will not leave you orphaned, says the gospel account of John. I will send you the advocate. The Holy Spirit is coming to you. So God never abandons us, but abides. And so that five-point discussion about what is the Bible, it invites you to plug in your favorite stories, your favorite story of creation or recreation. It invites you to plug in your favorite story of sustenance. I happen to be a big fan of the ones where the Israelites were complaining that at least in Egypt they had meat. You know, we were slaves and they were trying to kill us and oppress us, but at least we had meat. I like that one. And then God goes, oh, you want meat? Okay. Well, instead of asking me like an actual human being, you decided to complain. So I will give you meat. I'll give you quail till it comes out your nose. I like that story. That one will draw. That's a good story. I like that story. Let's talk about sustenance. And then you have the opportunity to talk about redemption. Now, for some of us, that may automatically take us to the cross. Or it may take us to stories like the adulteress who is caught and thrown at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus gives her the opportunity to confront her own sin, but also to try again. He doesn't condemn her and allow them to kill her. He sets her free and tells her to go and sin no more. Try again. So there are many stories of redemption. Your stories of redemption might include when the people came back from the Babylonian exile and had the opportunity to rebuild the temple and to worship once more in the presence of God as they had come to know it, there are lots of stories of redemption. There are also lots of stories of sanctification, God making the people holy. God did this in the Mosaic Covenant at Mount Sinai. God did this repeatedly throughout the Old Testament in the prophetic word when it was received and the people repented and they changed their ways. God does it repeatedly in the New Testament. You see even in the letters of the Apostle Paul how the people are struggling to be made holy because they recognize that they cannot stay the same. We cannot be who we were before we understood Jesus Christ. We have been transformed. So what will we be now? We were purely human before. But now by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being made holy. And holy people should look and talk and act differently when they are dealing with other people. They should not look at them as someone who despises them and hates them. 
So they change the way they are by sanctification. God changes the way we are by sanctification. And surely you have had an experience where God has made you better. If not, talk to me and we'll work on that. But we all want to be able to articulate that. Something that we have learned, heard, experienced, seen, that has made us a little better. But then throughout all of that, God abides. God was there. While every single one of us was still in the womb, God knew us and claimed us, called us by name. While every single one of us was growing and learning and discovering and slipping and falling, God sustained us, has brought us to this day and this point. And God promises in the pages of the scripture and in the words of the Holy Spirit to continue to sustain us, not just until we breathe our last, but for all eternity, to give us bodies that will never break and to give us eyes that will never cry, but that will look upon the glory of God for all time. God is telling us that I will redeem your experience. I will redeem you. I will redeem this world. So redemption is a huge part of that. Overall, when we look at the Bible, there are stories in there that we don't like. There are stories we wish we could change. But the good news is that the future is bright and beautiful because we do know and serve and love a God who creates, sustains, redeems, sanctifies, but above all, abides. And as we continue our faith journey and we all mature in our faith, may the overwhelming narrative be that no matter where we were in our life's journey, God was with us. Because God is for us. And through us, God will reveal God's presence and love for others. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.